self to to practice taking refuge in uh, what we call the Buddha the Dharma the Sangha going to them for refuge uh, these are uh, symbols ways of de- trying to to describe or portray in simple terms innate qualities that we have access to uh, on the spiritual plane the spirit, our spirituality can works on this level we have very profound spiritual hunger it's, it's, it's never to be underestimated the, the quality of that the power of it the integrity of it it gets lost it gets forgotten about. The world generally doesn't believe in it. Spirituality is a kind of, perhaps a part-time hobby, or the preserve of a few. Actually, it's the fundamental quality that makes a human being human. There is this sensory uh, aspect, which is quite loud, and which you can see, hear, touch, taste think it's loud and it's strong and it's powerful and the world very much believes in that and operates from that perspective of that being what we are you can see these these bodies can't you you can you can hear you can it all seems so incredibly real this lot and then this other stuff that's kind of you know way out Hope, maybe, a nebulous spiritual, where is it? Buddha, knowing, mindfulness, all this stuff is ideas. Sounds like a lot of ideas. Yet, uh, to, to go forth in faith, you begin to recognize that however loud and strong the sensory world gets, and that aspect of one's nature gets, what is it that knows it? What is it that feels the discontent or the, or is able to reflect and look at it and think, is this all? Or what's the point of this? What am I living for? What happens when you die? Why was I born? That, that kind of curiosity and hunger and, and wanting to find out, wanting to know, that can never be satisfied even by the most profound thoughts intelligent ideas you can read a whole library full of philosophy and you still don't really know you still just end up tinkering with the terms and tossing them backwards and forwards and comparing Kant with Plato and who's got it right and so on you still don't really know in your, in your heart and in your guts you don't know how to live or what the point of it all is. That's why so many, so many philosophers go crazy. <laughs> and people with brilliant intellects end up deciding it's all a waste of time and jumping off the top of a building. <laughs> brilliant minds, brilliant thoughts are like, it's like trying to walk on water. It won't support you. Yet there's the knowing, there is that, and there's the, there's the hunger, and the aching, and the looking for, and the place where there's a knowing what's good and right and true, and, what's, and there's a love for peace, and kindness, and honesty, that goes beyond uh, thought, and just the, the immediate gratification of the senses, which all of us like to feel, 
that we were honourable beings, that we were doing what was right, that we lived in harmony, that we were true. It's quite natural. Now, when you did in, in this way, I'm talking about this uh, spiritual quality. This we call, in 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 our terminology, the quality of sangha, the refuge of sangha. So it means a integrity, uh, straightforwardness, wanting to know. It's what we call the quality of sangha. So we take refuge in sangha. We we recollect that in ourselves. We're not praising ourselves and saying how wonderful we all, all are. But we, we can recognise that beneath the doubt and the worry and the confusion there is, a, there is a, a, a very real, sincere wish to learn and to understand and to, to improve. Not out of conceit, but out of, a, out of a, a, like a, just a sense of, of wanting to really fulfil the human potential. This is the refuge of Sangha. We take refuge in that because we have to keep recollecting these refuges. Otherwise, you start to to get caught up in your ideas and thoughts. When we when we practice based on the refuges, we base our practice on the quality of knowing, and on practicing straightforwardly, honestly, with the way it really is the way life is, the way things are, the actuality of it. I mean, not talking about uh, you know, political actualities, I'm talking about the, the flow of it, the change of it, the, the fret of it, the, the unsatisfactoriness of it. The way that life, whether it's you're living on a desert island or in the middle of a city, there's always the pulls of desires and wishes. There's always something, it's a kind of chaos a gentle chaos where nothing really fits the human concepts of order and rightness. And yet, also, we can't stop wanting it to be right. If we're true, something is that, that the only way we can stop wanting it to be right is by blotting out our minds, by getting into a kind of sense of, of despair or, or cynicism, by actually destroying our integrity by annihilating it either with cynicism or with drugs or by rejecting it. Because naturally we are sentient and sensitive beings and we look for things to be right and true and yet the world never seems to offer that. So we struggle with it. And the, the, uh, the Buddha said this is in order to realize what's true and right and to feel that sense of, of peace and uh, spiritual integrity, you have to work with the world, whether it's the world of your own body or your family situation or however you conceive your world to be, whatever it is, from, but from the position of the refuges, knowing, reflection, understanding, practicing with truth, practicing with, with straightforwardness, and understanding clearly the way it is. So then, it means our actions in the world come from a place of, of, of joy and calm and lovingness, rather than worry and anxiety, irritation and despair. Waiting, oh no, this again, why don't they ever stop this, stop that? Why don't they stop chopping down the trees? Why don't the people stop fighting? Why does my mother-in-law have to wear that stupid hat? <laughs> Why is my mind going crazy? Why would it ever shut up? You know, whether you take this from the kind of very large macrocosmic political level down to the family level, down to your, your own moods and feelings, your world, from the refined to the large. You can just you can be trying to make it peaceful from a position of irritation, worry, anxiety. <clears throat> this all comes through identifying with it. A very, very, the one problem really. 
It's not that there are, uh, there are no problems. This is the real key. Now notice when we're talking about the Four Noble Truths that the path of action, the Fourth Noble Truth, right, which in includes such things as right speech, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, comes after, it's the end, it comes after the Third Noble Truth. The Third Noble Truth is um, the cessation of suffering through the complete abandonment, relinquishment, letting go and utter giving up of every kind of, of craving, of every kind of desire. I mean, it's very uncompromising. It really says, give up <laughs> every kind of desire. You think, That's a bit radical. I mean, you know, what about desire to make things better? No. The utter giving up. What about the... And then, it doesn't mean uh, uh, kill them or reject them, but relax. And you have to actually relax, first of all, to allow the mind to operate from a position of fullness when it's fully endowed with, with clarity, with calm, with its full possibilities, and then allow it to act on in the, in, the, in the way of the fourth noble truth. So that you actually, this is a way of liberating the mind from obsessive, compulsive habits. No, this, is, this is the way the, the, the Buddha recommended. First of all, rather than make everything all right, then you can be at peace. It says, be at peace first and then make everything all right. Recognizing that, of course, it is the nature of things to change and that we, we can only ever really uh, do what we can. And if we do what we can, we feel we have done what is right. We've all, all human beings have then, we will make our contribution. And then things are as good as they can be. So it works that way around. When you take, you come from the position of having taken refuge. And sometimes it's like, it's like to, take, to take refuge and really rely on it, rather than rely on the, on the habits and the compulsions and the convictions of oneself. It's, like, it's almost like dying. What do we mean by, by self, by oneself? Uh, it's this path, the path of Dharma, the, is a difficult one because the, the Buddha saw the main problem is, that the, is this self-view. This, this is the root of all the problems, self-view. So what, what exactly is this? And then he described it uh, in some ways as the five, the five aggregates of clinging. Or you can even call it just the clingingness a sense of identification, rather than get into too refined terminology right now, just the sense of identifying with. So we're not talking about uh, annihilation of some, some being, but of a habit, of an identity habit, that is so common and so pernicious and so subtle, so all-pervading, that many times you don't, we don't even realize it's there. I mean, some things we definitely strongly feel are me and mine. Other times it's just, uh, uh, you don't even notice it. Because it, it, it's, it's suffused every level of consciousness, this ident identification. So you have to reflect a lot, which means coming from a, a practicing mindfulness so that you, you come from a position of, of dispassion and detachment. I'm emphasizing in this retreat, considering this sign of mindfulness, rather, and mindfulness is about observation and noticing, but it has this other quality, like the actual coolness of it. And I'm emphasizing this particularly, when there's detachment and coolness, when there's an emotional equilibrium, and there's a sense of watchfulness, 
And then you notice what you can notice. Sometimes the, 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 you know, there the can be, there's not much to see. You know, perhaps there's just nothing much happening. You think, am I, what's going on? Am I being mindful or what? Am I seeing, am I really? Maybe there's just nothing much happening. And, you know, or perhaps there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, particularly if one is at home and there's many things happening and the phone's ringing and there's, there's these and there's all these kind of duties and things, uh, possibilities. You think, I don't think I'm being very mindful. You know, my mind is really busy. If I was mindful, I wouldn't have these kind of states. So it's easy for that sense of identification to actually attach itself to mindfulness. Here I am being mindful. Am I being mindful enough? How mindful am I? I'm a mindful person, am I? Maybe I'm more mindful than you are. How mindful can I get? And so this, you have to be careful with, with the, that but if, you, if you're keeping it at a level of detachment and coolness, then you recognize that sense of anxiety because the mind leaves the cool, easeful space and gets into worry and doubt or uh, confusion of some kind. It, it's no longer in that quality, has that quality of knowing. So you can even make mindfulness a, 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 an aspect of self, being a mindful person why this, this teaching is, is quite, it cuts very deep, it goes very deep, because we're not claiming mindfulness to be a personal possession, so that we can notice, is, one, is one's mind open, are we watching, are we aware, is, is one's heart cool, then call this mindfulness, and then notice what you can, notice what you can notice. And that, that, that's a very helpful sign, I found. Because of the, the tendency that we have to, uh, the self-view in our life is, is, can make us very concerned with performance, identification with body, with mind. Am I being mindful enough? The endless worry and doubt. <coughs> so we're in the, the other day I was, I was mentioned just contemplate the feeling of I am. You know, perhaps, perhaps you didn't quite understand what, what was meant by that. It's a, perhaps it's, to, it's a point that maybe needs embellishment. Whenever the feeling comes up, you can, the words often arise with it in your thought processes. I'm late. I'm early. I'm succeeding. I'm failing. I'm being mindful. I'm not being mindful. I will be mindful. How mindful can I be? Any of these always brings around a, a kind of, you can see the mind starts to roll and turn and lose its sense of peacefulness and calm. Right? If, I, if, we're, if I'm succeeding, then what happens? I'm getting over and then we, more, 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 more. <laughs> if I'm failing, then out comes the stick, doesn't it? So you, you, so you want to you keep contemplating that, that, that mood when the mind starts to go into that sense of me and mine. You can, you can notice it loses its dispassion, loses, loses detachment. And to keep very, very cool and steady with, the, with uh, this practice. Let's contemplate the desires and the, and the fears and the worries. And if you actually keep this practice of, of anatta, of not-self, going, you'll find that these things arise, but they don't stick anymore. There is this. So the, the way that the Buddha taught, he, didn't, he taught there is suffering. He didn't say, oh, I'm suffering. <laughs> he said, there, there is suffering. <laughs> 
and there is an origin, and there is a cessation, and there is a path. It's not just a linguistic device. Because once we even start to look at suffering as there is rather than I am, there's a change of feeling about that. There is comes from a position of uh-huh, dispassion, detachment. I am, immediately there's a kind of blame even. I'm suffering, oh dear. What should I do about it? Or if you're, a, if you're, a, if you're really into Dharma, you feel guilty. I'm suffering, therefore my practice isn't going right, I'm not working hard enough at it. You know, I should be joyous, cheerful, peaceful, enlightened, liberated, creative, fluid, dynamic, but instead of that I'm suffering. Idiot, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> you know, or the origin, I've got this origin because I've got all these crummy desires in my mind. You know, well that's what I'm about, I'm really just about crummy desires and lust and craving and aversion and irritation. Yuck. How do, I get to the ce- how do I get to the cessation of it? I suppose, it, and the only thing that the I am can do and operate in terms of is, is grasping. So, if you can't, you, you either grasp um, the, the success or you grasp the failure. And then when you, when you discover suffering and the origin, you grasp the stick. Stop it. Whack. Let go. He said let go. Right. Okay, let go. Whack, whack, whack. Come on. <laughs> drop it, drop it. So out comes the stick. Because that's the only way the I am can operate. It's, uh, it grasps. That, that view, when that habit arises, the mind goes into a grasping mode. So then things we, we interpret letting go as a kind of like a rabbit punch. <coughs> Rather than a rather than a, a release, where we, we're just relaxing our hold, knowingly. And the, the relaxation can't, it's not, has to be the relaxation of that, that grasping, which is not getting rid of desire, it's getting rid of, getting rid of or letting go of owning it. It's this way, isn't it? There's this kind of wanting, or there's this not wanting. Or is this irritation? Or is this mood? And that's, that's not, um, you know, just being nice about it. Because that's what it is, isn't it? There isn't anybody there holding it, having it, is there? When you, when you really look at it, there's just this kind of mood, isn't it? I mean, there isn't, there isn't anybody there. And there never was anybody there. There's a habit. There's a grasping. But it's so it's it's a, it's such a usual way for the mind to operate that the instinct comes up. Well, oh, you know, what is that grasping? Of, get grasp hold of some freedom. Let me get that. I've got this desire, so I better get rid of it, then I can get the cessation, I can have that, then I'll be, I'll be, maybe I'll be an enlightened person. What do I do when I'm enlightened? I don't know what I do. I'll, well, first of all, I'll write to my mother, and then I'll tell the, tell the neighbours, and then I think, then I'll maybe, is that what enlightened beings do? You figure out what I'm going to do, or what I should do. Or maybe I shouldn't get enlightened yet, because I really need to do the shopping, first of all. I suppose enlightened beings don't do that kind of thing. You know, when you've let go of it all, then you don't bother with the world anymore because you've you've completely let go and abandoned everything. So you're in some sort of void limbo state. So that self-view can only operate like that. It only operates in black and white and positive and negative. If you're not holding, you're rejecting. If you're not in the world, if you're not holding the world, then you've thrown it away. So you think, well, this is about... Not, not desire and you know, not, not getting stuck into material things. I suppose you've just got to get rid of them all. So when you're enlightened, you, can, you kind of stay in some limbo state, voided out, like I'm really, really gone out. 
spaced out, voided, or gone into the void, and you know, there's no feeling, no nothing happening anymore. But that isn't the way the Buddha lived. So you, you, it's in order to, to work with this, you have to contemplate the I am. Now, this morning I was talking about contemplating Dhamma. Dhamma, you can either practice Dhamma or practice self-view. And this uh, practicing Dharma means that even the most un, seemingly unspiritual things you can make into Dharma if you practice Dharma. And even the most spiritual things you can make into worldly things if you practice self-view. You can make mindfulness into another, another, another ego fascination. You can make that into another kind of state of, of praise and blame and I am this and I'm not that and so on. Or you, and you can make fear and worry into Dharma if you practice Dharma with it. You can make it into a place of, of, of clarity and knowing. It will take you to, uh, to compassion. There's a possibility of transmuting these hindrances if you know how to, to practice anatta, not self with them. The hindrances by them as they arise tend to give rise to, the, to the, why they're hindrances, why they stick, is because they tend to bring around a very strong sense of identity. identity. You know, when you have some desire, it comes up in terms of yourself, doesn't it? You want something. And that, that feeling brings up the idea of there being somebody who wants something, who will get something and feel better when they've got it. It's a mirage, actually, because there isn't anybody. Is there? Who is it, say, say you want something to eat, who eats? And who feels better having eaten? The body chews, doesn't it? The body eats, and then there may be pleasant feelings arise and, and change and pass away. And there are different feelings and so on. There are different feelings that arise and bodily pleasant feelings, feeling of uh, well-being and so on. It's like that, isn't it? And it changes. After a while, you don't feel so good anymore and eventually you feel hungry again. Or there's that. So there's this process of change. And you don't, there's no need for this addition of some person. And yet it's because of that that uh, desire remains such a, such a strong habit and such a fantasy thing. Because of the identification with, with uh, pleasure and pain, with feeling. We want pleasant feeling, we feel good. A good sense of, 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 uh, of being somebody when we feel pleasure. And being around it with displeasure is, is something we don't want. But this is just all the movements of desires and views and feelings and habits. And when we're practicing, we're practicing not based on feeling anymore. So sometimes we feel unpleasant, displeasure, bodily displeasure, mental displeasure. And we watch it. We watch it rise and pass away and we're trying to practice a sense of, of dispassion around it. So we accept that as part of life the aches and the tiredness and the, the, just the discomforts. And then the pleasure, we watch that, the happiness, the ease, the sensory pleasure, the feeling of lightness or contentment. This too comes and goes, it changes. And you're not trying to just get rid of those things or stop liking and disliking, but to keep your basis on in terms of, of knowing, of Dhamma, of seeing these as Dhammas now, as changing phenomena that you can't own, you don't have to get rid of, and you don't have to hold, because their nature is to come and go.
irritation and ill will. And then you can feel, <coughs> particularly with the hindrances, there's this sense of shame and guilt and aversion to them all. You shouldn't have them. I shouldn't have them. Because I'd like to be something other than that. We have this spirit, there is this spiritual aspiration. But for well, practice, when you, the practice of having taken refuge is to recognize that quality where the, where the hindrances aren't. So we, we've always got that quality of knowing. You can, you can see, you can notice. This is called Buddha. So we can notice when there's worry or fear, restlessness or doubt, dullness. Our practice of mindfulness is to this level, to this extent, to establish the Buddha so that we can see things as Dhamma and we can practice as Sangha. When we see it as Dhamma, we're no longer saying, oh, this is, oh dear, I'm this, I shouldn't be this way, I want this, I'm not that, why am I this, how do I get to be that, how do I deal with this? We're seeing it's like this, isn't it? This is worry, this is doubt, this is fear, this is greed. And in that, in that sense of straightforward, knowing, reflective wisdom, there is a, is a humility about it. We're not just complacent about it, but we, we're watchful and we notice, and we notice it arises and it passes away. That's its nature. And it's not self. Now the, so the practice of mindfulness is like, is, like, is like this. It's a constantly extending this reflection around experience. What I call the three characteristics. There is unsatisfactoriness. There is a sense of imperfection. There are things that are wrong. Things that we... that. Uh, uh, give that feeling of, of, of imperfection. It changes. And it doesn't belong to anybody. And this doesn't mean that you're denying any, any responsibility because in order to, to keep that way of looking at things you have to be very committed. When you to see things as changing and not self, you can't be ignoring it. Because then you get caught up in, in uh, identifying with the, the aversion and the ignore, ignorance and carelessness. And to keep that, that quality of, of, of this reflection going, there has to be a very constant, committed, total, total experiencing of phenomena without attachment without attaching the normal compulsions and guilt and shame and fear and fascination and indulgence. Keeping it very light. Letting it flow, letting it happen. Now that's what the refuge is for. And to practice that way. Because if you don't do that then Sooner or later, it starts to creep up on you, this identification habit. Just even in terms of retreat, how did you do today? How well did you do today? Do you get anxious about how well you did today? What kind of performance you put in? How many hours did you rack up? I saw somebody nodding over there. Yeah. They weren't being mindful, were they? If they were being mindful, they wouldn't have been nodding. <laughs> Stand up, nodder. <laughs> right, repeat after me 50 times. I shall not nod. I shall sit with my eyes open. I shall be alert and mindful at all times. <laughs> so if you were being mindful, it wouldn't have happened. But then, of course, this is, uh, this, is the, this is the post-mortem. When it's happened, there's no point in crying over spilled, spilled milk. You have to 
be right at the moment. And then as soon as you recognize, you know, whatever the hindrance is, that however stupid it is, however idiotic, how many thousand times you've been into that stupid habit, at that moment you realize that you've woken up. Just for one moment there's been, ah, and then, oh, why did you do that? You're always doing this. Oh, no, here we are again. And we've passed the station. You've, you should stop. Stop at that point and notice. And instead of coming in with all the judgments and the, and the blame and, the, oh, dear, how do I deal with this? And here we go again. How long am I going to have to work with this one for? Just keep very cool. And you'll notice that that whole karmic habit that whole personality habit, that desire, that doubt, that fear, that lust, that aversion, whatever it is, then just melts like a snowflake in your hand. And your mind goes still. There's a moment when there's what's called cessation. You experience the cessation of suffering. It may be just for a moment before you find, oh well, you know, let's get back to suffering again. Suffering is a very popular habit. <laughs> the origin of suffering is very popular. Cessation is a kind of rare hobby for a few enthusiasts. But origin is, is very popular. Because the origin of suffering is based really upon this sense of I am. And I am is, is about performance, isn't it? about becoming something and having something and being something and holding something. And that's all that grasping and the comparing and, the, and all that comes around that, the layers of that self-view and then the blame and the shame and the criticisms and the not being good enough. And then so but cessation is like is actually the letting go of all of that for just just one moment. Whenever you notice the power of mindfulness begins to work and you start to notice this stuff for one moment. All day might have been a complete waste of time, a complete write off. And then for one moment, you know, oh that's it. And if you get that for one moment, that is uh a miracle, and it's a sign that you are not those feelings and thoughts, because the dream ends, and we think, oh. And now, before we get into the next process of I am, then we just stop and look, and even rest and incline into that, and give ourselves into that moment, make much of it. This is the way that you work through the, the karmic process of self-view. Now what probably is more likely to happen is you get that one moment of stillness and then, oh, that's good. How do I do that? That's really good. I've got it. I've got it at last. Not really, you know, I had a rotten day today, but now I've got it. And the I am has come back in again, isn't it? Oh, well, I think I'll write a book about this. I had this mind-blowing experience. I was sitting on a retreat and suddenly it all stopped. Let me think, I'll write that down. I'll tell the teacher about it. And I think I'm really getting places, you know. This practice really works. Oh, I'll be any moment now, you know. The, I'll be right there and liberated. I said, I'd better start teaching. <laughs> so it comes again and then, you, you know, you spend another, sooner or later that sours and you wonder why your mind is, is still raving on and, and you're not quiet and peaceful. And eventually then, of course, you feel, oh, I think I've lost it. How did I do it? How did I, what's the technique of doing it? How do you manage to do this? And so then we get back into the origin. Because you get greedy for that little bit of peace of mind. You get quite greedy about. And once you've had a little bit, then you think, I did it somehow. How did I do it? So then you try to set up special circumstances for it to happen in where you get really concentrated, you get revved up on your Zafu, here we go, heading for that whole cessation experience again. And then we, we bring in all the wrong energies, all the kind of 
You get almost neurotic, obsessive mind around you know, particular qualities of mind states or experiences. Well, actually, it was the most natural thing in the world that for a moment you gave up. And it wasn't you, it was, it was this spiritual quality which we, we can symbolize by Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, the, the spiritual quality, that's there all the time behind this, this screen, behind this carnival performance of I am. Whenever we let it drop. <coughs> so enlightenment is never, it's a humbling experience. It has to come through a kind of humility. It's the most humble experience possible. Because you have to be totally humble in order to, to let go. And not, 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 not fa- it's not a failure, it's like a, it's a deflation of the, of the will to succeed and become and progress and have and hold. And you have to be very humble to allow yourself to be deflated time and time and time again until you stop the need to blow up dies away. You're quite happy to just be this and just be that and this moment and that moment. Now, to consider this because um, it's very important that Dharma practitioners know how to have a refuge. You You need sustenance on this journey. You need provisions for the way. And the refuge provides that, it provides the place of peace, the place of confidence. You never find it in will and even in the most high-minded idealism you won't find sustenance, you'll find a whip. But you won't find the food. We have to be always quite able and willing to begin again because we're not, we're not identifying with failure or success. Always that, that humility to keep being simple and beginning again and, and never having got anywhere and never having gained anything. Have that kind of mind and you'll, you'll experience, you'll, you'll abide in the cessation where suffering doesn't even arise. Uh, when you practice, you to consider the. You, you make a commitment. This is this is noble. When you when you apply yourself to this, is this is very good. It must be remembered, reflected upon. You must learn to to have that kindness towards yourself. Otherwise, you find that there's there's so much anxiety. Is because of what this material world breathes into you. And you identify with, with a position and possessions and status and jobs and so on in, in the, on this plane, <coughs> in, this, in this world, then it's so much of it's about performance and excellence, isn't it? Who wants to be second? Who wants, or third? Fifth? not good enough, is it? You can't say, uh, everything has to be the best state of the art, the newest, the fastest, the quickest, or at least as good as the next. Nobody wants to be worse than the, worse than the next. There's only one, one person who gets praised, and it's the first, isn't it? Everybody else, the second person gets, well, pretty good, Joe, but it was, it was Bill who really did it. Sec, sec, people who come second, they just get the pleasantries. People who come 22nd, they just, well, I'm sorry, <laughs> there's no place for you here in this organization. <laughs> And you get this is and this gets built into everything, doesn't it? Are you really good enough, mother? Are you caring enough? 
are you joyous enough? Your personality gets, uh, gets cross-examined. And then your physical appearance. Everything. Based on this identification with it. Not, not what is your intention. Intentions don't count. It's, what, it's what, you, what do you come up with that counts. So that people can do, do things with the most crazy kind of intentions and the most manic energies of worry and despair and the most kind of crazed energies in order to get the highest results. You know, like these athletes who, who... I was looking at this woman, what, Mary Decker, I saw some photographs. A woman, like she looks like she's made out of knotted string. <laughs> you know, I mean, this, they have to actually slow her down in case she kills herself through running too fast. I don't know if she's done it yet. This was some time ago. These performance athletes who just drive their bodies into the dirt mm. for what? To be number one. Mm. And maybe we don't. That's not an un, that's not an, an unusual human trait. I mean, we, maybe we're not. We've given up on being great athletes, but that desire to succeed, to be good, to at least have a good opinion of oneself. You know, to have a few, to, if somebody else could have a good opinion of me, that would be really nice. But at least if I have a good opinion of myself. And when I see greed, fear, lust and worry in my mind, I do not have a good opinion of myself. I think, what are you doing, you idiot? We're wasting your time. Why don't you ever get it together? You should be. And I know what I should be. And I bet you know what you should be. And you're not, are you? <laughs> you're not what you should be. That's the whole <laughs> crux of it. But then how do you actually, being realistic, how is it that one is able to be what one should be? You have to know what you are. And you know what you are by knowing what you're not. These things are, are, are the karma. And actually there's so much more um, hindrances because of the desperate desire to be good. To actually have to have no hindrances. So you, what you get bred into the mind is a lot of repression and anxiety and willfulness. So that actually you, you, that, that tends to increase the stress and the worry. And then when you get, like even with, with uh, meditation you find that you're so stressed, you can get so stressed and worried about being empty and clear-minded that, oh no, I can't keep this going for much longer. You know, how long do you have to keep being clear and empty for? Oh, oh you know, I'm going to go out and eat something. I just have a break. And this, all this peacefulness is killing me. You know, and then, or then even, even with, with loving-kindness, you've got to be kind to everything. Oh. You know, I think I'm going to bear another moment of trying to be kind to myself. I can't. I can't be kind to myself. I'm just not. I'm just not that kind of person. <laughs> I can't even be kind to myself. I'm just so miserable. I can't. I'm another failure. I can't even love myself anymore. <laughs> so even that, you will makes into a kind of an identity crisis over whether one can do it or not. So with that, when there's the. But then all of the positive qualities of, of the practice, faith, that gets destroyed. No faith anymore, just despair. But there's no faith, no energy. You don't you haven't got any heart left in it, you can't your energy just sort of sags. No energy, no mindfulness. Mindfulness gets shot, no concentration, wisdom out the window, and there you are round the pits again. Because for one moment you believed in your in the mind as being self. So you lost confidence, you lost faith, lost energy, mindfulness went down, goodbye concentration, no wisdom. And the things that are there to support have been wiped away by just this one, one expression, I am. So it's, it's, a major, it's the major hindrance.
in practicing loving kindness. I find how, how difficult that is from the perception of, of I am. Okay, now I'll be, be kind to myself. <coughs> I like me. Oh, um, wait a minute. Uh, think of something good. Uh, I've got really nice blue eyes. Oh, come on. Um, can't think of anything good about myself. Because when you think about yourself, you can't. You just get into state, because the I am is, is a grasping experience. So you, you, you come up with all the, the things that you find yourself grasping at. <coughs> the results of grasping. And it's not loving. So to, to have loving kindness, you have, to be, you have to start off just at a level of, of complete, of acceptance, of just knowing. So mindfulness and loving kindness are not antipathetic. It's not like you can either be super concentrated and noticing or nice and mushy and, and sweet. The two really go together. When there's dispassion and detachment, then that brings around the ability to accept the way it is. And with that we start to lose the aversion and the intolerance and the whipping stops. And then we start to feel a kind of lightness in the heart and a, a quiet joy. And we feel that sense of loving kindness. We start to be able to, to forgive ourselves from first of all having that sense of, of equanimity and, and detachment. But it has to work both ways. We have to, to give up uh, failure. We have to give up success too. And part of the uh, uh, inherent difficulty is, of course, that I'd be quite happy to give up pain, but pleasure, hmm. But the, the giving up is not a, it's not a rejection, it's, it's the ability to, to endure change, to just be totally honest about it, actually. So we're not saying, never have any pleasure, but to be brave enough to allow pleasure to come and go without running after it, to live lightly. And that's, that's a training. So that those times when when maybe the meditation is really nice and sweet and peaceful. This is lovely. And then some, you get caught, and rather than going into despair, just allow that, to allow it to change, even to the getting caught into something, another habit comes up. Because that's the way it has to be. It means whenever something new comes up, it's like, okay, you've had... It's now time to work again. And what comes up is that which is to be dealt with, to be worked on. And the way of working at it is to keep seeing it as, reflecting on it as change and as not self, as that which has arisen. It will always say, I am, I am, I am, I am. I did this, I did that, I want this, I'm not that. Why aren't I this? How can I be that? That's the way it works. You have to say so you have to keep this very uh, clear perspective of mindfulness. If it's what now, when there's detachment and dispassion, what is it that can watch that? There is the knowing of it, isn't there? So no matter how much it says I am, and I will be, and I want, and why am I? Just that abiding in the present, in the, in the state of knowing. You can hear that voice. You can see that image. So it's not what you are. It's just that much. And this is the detachment, dispassion leads to this cessation experience where the, we 
suddenly there's that uh, realization of stillness. You can almost like hear the stillness of the mind. You have almost like a sound to it. Thoughts arise and pass away. And you can actually sustain with uh, this detachment and coolness, you can sustain that experience of, of, of inner silence around whatever you're doing. And uh, the ongoing practice is, is daring to allow the world to arise within you, thoughts and feelings to arise within you, and practicing holding the mind into that stillness, letting the mind rest into that stillness of non-attachment. And then from this, when, when there's clarity, from that experience, there's this, the, the, the chemistry of that is that then dispassionate action arises. When we allow the stillness of our mind, the cessation of it, to hear the world, to attend to it, then true compassion, true enlightened action arises. Ideas, ingenuity, intelligence arises from that place. This is the, the Eightfold Path. So you can see this sometimes just in, in, your, own little, in your own world, practicing that, that with the way it is for you at this time, with your world, with the way it is for you now to have this faith, to allow yourself to be still, to listen to it with dispassion and detachment, then you'll know the, the skillful means will arise. All of the, the very natural, uh, urgent, anxious. How do I deal with this? How can I cope with that? How do I get rid of this? How do I manage that? Is really, it's natural enough, but it, it can't be solved that way. You can't, be, you, can't, you can't deal with and cope with from that level of the mind, ultimately. You can just manipulate and shove and, and push things away and do some, and ring some changes on it, but you never really realize what you're looking for until there's that, this letting go. And then with that, all your problems are solved. The root of them is all solved. You begin to, to know how to practice without doubt. And it's just a matter of, of doing it and trusting it and allowing yourself to, to, uh, to uh, have confidence in them in practice. So that uh, meditation should be that which allows us more fully to open and experience the world. We, if, if our meditation is, is driving us into a corner where it becomes actually impossible to relate to anything because you're getting so kind of highly critical and delicate and sensitive, then really you know, consider that. Is this wise? Is this suitable? 